What's up, y'all? You're now listening to the What Now Podcast. I'm Dr. Spencer Dupre, owner of Empower Chiropractic. And I am Dr. Zach Thompson, owner of Within Chiropractic. The purpose of this podcast is to document and share the experiences of two young business owners as we open our own brick and mortar chiropractic practices. Join along as we discuss all of our wins, our losses, insights, and the many, many lessons we learned. As a disclaimer, none of this is ever intended to be medical, legal, or financial advice. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of the What Now podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach Thompson, based out of Colleyville, Texas, with Within Chiropractic, joined by my other co-host, Spencer Dupree with Empower Chiropractic. Spencer, let the What's people up? know who we're joined with today and why they're in for quite the treat. Uh, what's up, everybody? We have one of my homies, uh, Jared Moon. Um, you probably haven't heard of him, but after today, you'll want to consume all his content. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit about Jared, and then we'll get going. So Jared Moon is a coach, author, veteran, and two-time Inc. 500 honoree, which uh, the more you look into it, the bigger deal uh, it will become to you, just like it has to me. Uh, he served as captain in the U.S. Air Force leading teams throughout his career. And after leaving active duty, he founded his company, Better Human Business, with the aim to build better humans. The award-winning and best-selling author of Killing Comfort, which is a phenomenal book that I just finished, and The Garage Gym Athlete, uh, Jared is recognized as a leader throughout the industry. Uh, he's been married uh, for 12 years and counting. His deadlift is 400, uh, 540 pounds. He's got three awesome kids, who one of them just had a birthday this past weekend. Uh, his mile time is 512. He's read absolutely zero fiction books, and uh, his business uh, made the Inc. 500 in 2022 and 2023, which number what? 142? 152 this Is year. Is that what your yeah. last one? Yeah. 152 this year. Um, and there's a lot of people who take him way too seriously, which is very true. So Jared, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to this. I'm sorry. Thanks. Sorry if my laugh interrupted the bio, but the zero fiction books really, really sent me. That was that was a great addition. Great addition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't dive into it, but I know a lot of people who do like most of the people, uh, you know, one of the questions I ask in all of our team meetings is towards the end of the meeting. I always check in with people like on the personal side. I'm like, what are you reading? How many workouts did you do this past week? Making sure they're taking care of themselves and all that. And we always, I always ask what you're reading. And it's like 90% of my team is reading fake stories. Harry Potter. Books. Yeah. Like <laughs> and I'm like, Let's. I, mean, I try to interject like a, a self development here or a business book there, but uh, so anyway, I always give my my team a hard time about it, and then they likewise give me a hard time back. Nice. Well, Jared, today we kind of want to just get in with our listeners, um, just to let them know a little bit about what you do, what you're involved in, because um, it's pretty relevant to our industry, and then talk about the personal development uh, and how that leads into business. So before we get going with that. Um, I'll turn your question back around to you. What are you currently reading right now? Uh, what I'm reading right now is I'm sure you're familiar with Alex Ramosi. Most people are on the yeah. inter internet are. Um, so he just came out with hundred million dollar leads. So I'm, I'm digging through that book right now. Dang. I actually just ordered that three pack and, uh, one of the copies I was going to give to you. So you ruined mine. <laughs> so I guess I don't have to give it to you, but <laughs> Hey, well, I appreciate the thought. Yeah, um, I'm excited to read into that book as well. $100 million offers was phenomenal. So it was really good. Yeah, great, dude. Nice. Well, um, Jared, 
tell uh, people a little bit about your businesses and kind of what you do around those. Yeah. So the biggest or the best way to think about it is better human business is kind of the umbrella company to multiple other companies that I, that I run. Uh, and it wasn't always this well organized, but it finally is, is now. Uh, so better human business is the umbrella. And the reason I call it better human business is because I'm really only interested in helping either people be better versions of themselves or helping business owners that are helping other people get better, you know, much like the two of you, those, those types of businesses or strength coaches or, you know, those kind of, of people. Uh, that's what I'm interested in. That's what I've always been doing. Now, within under that umbrella, I have uh, three companies. One is called Garage Gym Athlete, which is like direct to consumer. So direct to athlete. So we have workouts and coaches and, you know, training app, all those kind of things um, for people who train in their garage gym. Then I have End of Three Fitness, uh, which is uh, focused more on coaching coaches. So helping coaches develop uh, programming. So I teach them, you know, or our courses teach programming methodology, all these kind of things help help coaches get better at programming because it's something that's definitely not taught or done very well in the industry. Um, and then the one that, you know, probably has you guys most interested or probably your listeners is physical therapy biz is my third company. Um, and it's the largest of the three. And physical therapy biz is um, meant to help uh, cash practice owners start, grow and scale their practices. Uh, so those are the those are the three. And, and that's what I'm doing under this uh, better human business umbrella. Nice. Nice. So, so what is technically your role at PT Biz? Yeah. So right now I would be considered chief operating officer, chief revenue officer, something along those lines. So a lot of, I'm on the acquisition side, a lot of how do we get more leads? How do we get more customers? Uh, but also I have a very operational mindset. So I'm really good at uh, what's the process? How do we automate it? Those kind of things. So um, those are my two, my, my main role, roles at PT Biz right now. Nice. Super cool. Super cool. And with that said, I mean, just in these brief couple minutes starting off, you you have you seem to have a brain that's very, like you said, operational based. Have you always been fixated on operations or kind of going back to I know you were in the Air Force, so did a lot of your your step by step come from that? Kind of talk through how your how your brain has become so operational based. Yeah. So I have a military background. So I was an officer in the military, started my career um, on the aviation side, flying in the Air Force. So yeah, very, that's very operationally driven. So I think that helped me in my mindset. I also have a very analytical mind. Like I don't make, I won't make a decision. I won't allow a decision to be made in business if there isn't data supporting it. I'm not a gut feeling type of guy. Like I might have a gut feeling, but gut feelings are, in my opinion, earned from a lot of experience. Like if I have 10 years of experience doing something like online advertising, I can have a gut feeling that something's not working, but I would rather see the data that proves that right. Um, so I think that that's how I've always been, you know, because I've just kind of had that military mindset. But when, before I got started in PT biz, I had to be everything, especially in my other two companies. So I had to be, I couldn't just be behind the scenes and be the operations guy. Like I kind of am for PT biz. I, had to be the guy creating content, the guy in the front, the guy doing the marketing, doing the advertising, just, you know, we've all been there as entrepreneurs where we basically have to do everything, but it's, it's nice to, you know, get to work on just like one thing and pick, Hey, you, you get good at operations, get good at acquisition. Um, and I don't have to focus as much as on being the, the guy in the front, you know, which is a lot of work and could be pretty draining for somebody who doesn't naturally like to do those things. 
All right. So um, that obviously puts you out like into outside of your comfort zone quite a bit. So um, I guess like where I'm obviously leading this to is like, tell our listeners about like, what is Killing Comfort? And like, uh, talk to us about like your book a little bit and like that overall mindset. Yeah. So I wrote Killing Comfort. Um, and, you know, the subtitle is it's it's the, the prerequisite for success, you know, and I think everyone jumps straight to wanting to get into tactics and strategies and all that stuff. Like we were just talking about Hermosi's new book, $100 million leads or $100 million offers. Those things are great. And you need that kind of tactical information. But what I have seen in working with a lot of entrepreneurs um, and even at PT Biz, people opening uh, clinics, practices, things like that, is that's what they think that they want too. They think that they need all the tactics and the strategy but I can give you the step-by-step plan for success. But ultimately, if you haven't been able to, you know, flex that discomfort muscle, if you will, you haven't practiced that, you're not going to be able to do the necessary steps to move forward. And so that's why the main reason I wrote the book, because I actually wrote it to help people across all the different companies I do run, because someone who's looking to get started just working out on a day-to-day basis they always want to start off too strong, right? They want to be like, okay, I'm doing seven days a week. I'll run 10 miles, you know, four times a week. And, you know, they just, they start off with these crazy things. And all you really need to do is like, how about we just work on the consistency habit? And then we flip that over to business. It's the exact same thing. People want to start off with leases that are too expenses or add a cryo machine and like do all these like advertising campaigns that are completely unnecessary. When really in the beginning, maybe you just need to work on having a couple uncomfortable couple uncomfortable conversations with people who could be a referral source that, that you want to talk to, or, or maybe you just need to have an uncomfortable sales conversation. They're, they're very small things, but if you can learn to kill comfort, you will start to grow, but it has to be compounded. What I, what it's in the book and what I say all the time is daily over decades. It's not something that like in, in my opinion, there's no real life-changing experience. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. Like, I'm sure like you could probably have a traumatic experience that absolutely changed your life. But I'm talking about like, just I'm going to flip the switch today because something happened. That's very rare. Like you can, you can see people who are in unhealthy situations and the doctors like you have diabetes. I'm literally going to have to cut off your leg if you don't start exercising. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. You know, because they've never flexed that discomfort muscle. So anyway, the whole reason I wrote it was to try and help more people close that gap because you can do anything you want. You can do anything you want in this world if you just know how to put the pieces together and be a little bit uncomfortable day after day. Man, that's great. That's super, super awesome stuff. And it, it reminded me, we're almost a year into our podcast, but our first episode was about just starting. Um, and we kind of joked how Spencer and I had been talking about doing this podcast for almost two years and then we finally one day we're like we don't need all the fancy equipment we don't need you know we'll just figure it out as we go um and i really like what you're saying where it's it's more that consistency over a long time and as we excuse me both gotten into business more and more started to realize okay it's it's not necessarily the big things you do uh at the start of the year or randomly but it's it's really having those consistent days where you're you're in there you're you're mentally fixated on the goal and you're doing everything you can or some days it's as little as you can but you're still getting closer and closer to your goal um which is staying in the game so i, I, really, I really like that how have you noticed with because are you on the coaching side with pt biz 
I was for a long time, especially when we got started for a couple of years. It wasn't really until the last year that I've kind of completely moved behind the scenes. But yeah, I've done I've done a lot of business consulting, coaching, all that kind of stuff. How does it for you? Where do you notice the biggest, I guess, ROI if you really wanted to with killing that comfort zone? Like if someone obviously taking the diabetic route and like you got to chop off your leg, like they lose a leg. But from a business standpoint, where do you notice when someone does decide to kill that comfort zone, they really start to notice big changes? Yeah. So I think, I think at the beginning, and I, I do think it's different for every level of practice. And so that that's a wide range. Like we can have people who are just starting. We have people who are very far along and the comfort they need to kill is, is vastly different. Like uh, you might have to kill comfort on the leadership side. If you're more advanced in the beginning, it really is. Um, it comes down to a lot of uncomfortable conversations. Uh, you know, I kind of mentioned that. And the reason I say that is because it's sales conversations and then it's conversations with local marketing, like referral sources, people, you know, making those connections. If you're not a social person, all those things are very hard. And I think a lot of people, especially younger generations, are a little bit more accustomed to, I can do everything behind a computer screen, right? Like I can, I, that's why people love the idea of uh, social media advertising, because they think that they can just turn on some ads and then sit in their office and fold their arms and be like, great, people are just going to start coming. This would be awesome. Never works that way. You normally have to have an awesome product, right? And then on top of the awesome product, people have to know about the awesome product. And so that's where, uh, you know, I think killing comfort at the beginning of a practice like what, what you guys have would definitely be the uncomfortable conversations, killing that comfort. And then the consistency of doing all the things that you know you need to do on a daily basis. Um, just like on the admin side, like you're doing everything at first, right? You know, on, on the admin side and sending emails and all that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's like a big thing that we see, especially like in um, a lot of our friend groups, because uh, since we all kind of graduated at the same time, everybody kind of started their practice the same. And we have like a, a lot of friends and a lot of people that we see that are like, oh, man, like if I can just have this one ad to hit, if I can just like have this one ad to hit, like how much money are you spending like on advertising? And like, uh, I mean, my practice, we spend like very little because I mean, you know, we live in a super small town. So like, my whole goal is just to like get out in front of people and just have like word of mouth. And then like, once we have a good product and once, because like, dude, if I have an office that people are like, man, this place kind of sucks. And then I'm spending $10,000 a month to uh, have them come out. Like if that one week, whenever I didn't have any air conditioner, uh, if um, I had, a you know, 10 new people come in, they were going to go on Facebook and be like, man, this place sucks. Like I saw this ad and it promised all these great things. And they don't even have AC in this place. And that's going to ruin my reputation. So, um, with like digital advertising, like where do you see like that really being the most effectful or having the biggest impact, like in a practice, like in what stage? Uh, typically, uh, I like to see people being like, if we just put some like numbers around it, I'd say minimum, you're making 15 K a month, maybe 20 K a month. And then advertising starts to become a little bit more effective. Um, and, and the reason why you could start with less. And if you want to start with less, there are definitely strategies for behind that. Like you could do more brand awareness campaigns, just getting people to like know that you exist, like, and you could spend relatively low money, but what you couldn't do is like direct call to action campaigns where like someone's going to, you know, book an eval and come in right away. Those are much harder to do. If you just started and you're making a few thousand dollars per month, it's not going to be the best use of your money. Um, 
But when you actually, all the things that you said, when you're like, okay, I have a good product, we're getting some word of mouth, like all those things are starting to to work, then that's where advertising becomes way more effective because the algorithms behind these brains that are social media, right? It's insane. But once they have more data points of, you know, we're all, we have our phones on us when we walk into your office, right, Spencer? And so like, Facebook knows where we're going and it knows what type of people are going. It's just crazy how much they know. And so the more data you actually have as a business, that's more can be utilized, you know, within the algorithms. Um, and so it becomes way more effective when you're a little bit more established and then it starts to send you the right people. Like it will work at that point because Facebook will be like, I know who you need because you already have a hundred, 200, 300 customers and I, I know what those people look like in your local area and it becomes way more effective. And, and that's typically around what we see it becoming most effective. And again, if you want to start less than that, it's fine. Just do brand awareness campaigns. Just try to, don't try to get people to come in directly. Just get them to know who you are. Maybe get an email uh, subscriber, get a, a follower on a social media platform, something like that. Something where you can at least start to communicate and, and warm up those people. Yeah, I think like... Um... That's where Zach is like, yeah, you see Zach's ears perk up because Zach is like all about like the online advertising stuff. And I'm kind of been pretty hesitant to do that. So as we like build our brand, because actually our office is going like through rebrand right now. So where whenever we do start doing branding, we have like a consistent message uh, throughout all of our brand material. But um, a couple, I think a couple of weeks ago, you had like posted this one podcast on better human business about like your formula um for like where your ad spend should go you you remember what i'm talking about uh yeah i think as long as your cost per acquisition um is less than what you're spending to acquire like you're you're going to be fine i think i don't remember the exact one i was let me i'll tell you uh this one the one million dollars spent on this simple ad strategy do you remember that where you talk about like brand awareness campaign yeah so like yeah so what we do um it, we call the 70, 20, 10 strategy. And it's basically all I've ever done in advertising. And we've tried everything else. So it's not like it's the only strategy I've ever tried. It's just, that's the main one we do. So 70, 20, 10 is 70% of the ad budget, whatever you want to spend on a daily basis. 70% of that is just content. Um, so it could be, if uh, hey, listen to my podcast. It could be, look at this article, a lot more video these days on social media, you know, short form, those kind of things. So that's 70% of the budget. 20% of the budget is then going to be trying to get those people to convert to leads because you can retarget people who've been to your website, right? You can retarget people who've viewed your social media profile. And so you at least know they're interested. So now you're spending 20% of your budget on those people to become leads. Again, this 20% is not give me money type of ads. It's just, hey, enter in your name and email, download this free thing, whatever. And then that 10% is what most people want to do. And that is, hey, I'm have a discount on this thing or come in, get an eval at this price, those kind of things. And that's only 10% of the budget. And that's all people really think about when they think about advertising is that 10%. They think that's what they should be doing, but they're missing 90% of what I would spend ads on to get people warmed up and make sure that they're going to want to stick around, that the right culture fit, all those kind of things um, that are kind of the prerequisite. So the reason I break it down percentage wise is because you're like, I want to spend $10 a day on ads. That's where I started. That's great. You know, break that down to 70, 20, 10. Break that down into percentages and then you can scale it over time. It's, it's, yeah, that's super smart. Like we're talking about this and I, I listened to that episode and it really made me think because I had a mentor recently 
and I'm sure it's this, the same in, in the PT biz and probably even the, the strength and personal training business too, but he's, he mentioned how chiropractors are really, they're really fixated on hunting, but we're really poor at farming. Um, and it made me yeah. kind of look at, and what you just said really made me ponder how um, I do need to switch it up. Cause a lot of my marketing is, is all that 10%, that call to action. Here's our, our new patient special. Um, but they, they have, those leads haven't been cultivated. They haven't been, been farmed. They haven't kind of followed us along too much. They don't know our content. Um, and so really it's to me, just a, an aha moment, um, of something and I'm, I've been realizing now just how much we need, we've been focused on one thing and now we need to, okay, this, we can recalibrate. Well, it's, it's hard as an entrepreneur because you build up these habits at the beginning stages of an entrepreneur is literally all you need is people to come in to your yeah. practice because you need to put food on the table. You need to pay your bills, those kind of things. So that's the habit we build that has to be unbuilt. It has to be broken down after you've gained enough traction, right? Because if you only ever stay in that, like, you know, I'm going to, I need new clients, new clients, new clients, new clients. Like if you're only ever in that mentality, yeah, you're not really building out a culture of people wanting to stick around or yeah, you'll get a bunch of like, weirdos i don't know how to say it like that's the feedback we've gotten is like, like that person came in but like there's no way they're sticking around like you know maybe they paid for the that's eval but like the, those are the problems you start to see when you are just going direct to cold you might have somebody who maybe was a good fit but they they're not really who you were looking for so that's where the the rest of the strategy comes in and like i said it's a hard habit to break especially from the starting but after you get there you have to break it well thankfully for us our facebook lead campaigns have we've generated a ton of leads, but I mean, we've had 10 of like the 200 leads we've been able to, to grasp 10 of them have like, they have an area code from Sri Lanka. And so it's like, yeah. you know, exactly. And then we realized, okay, our, our geo, our geo fence, right. For our Facebook ads was including the DFW airport. So someone flies in, they're at a layover, they're on Facebook and they're like, Oh, this looks good. And then we go to call them and we can't dial their number because it's international. Yeah. Even if you got them, they might not want to come. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a true thing. So especially for those those young young docs that are looking to get into um, Facebook campaigns, it's definitely something to to be weary of and something my, my fiance and I, who she owns her own practice as well, um, we've caught ourselves slipping in the fact that we're like getting a lot of leads and like we're, we're seeing the success of our campaigns, but we're like, man, these leads kind of stink. Um, and it's because we're, we're only doing that direct to sale type, type marketing. So super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of like the whole like scaling operations, I was listening to some more of your stuff and you were talking about how like in PT biz, um, the ROI, like on the investment, I think you're making like an extra adding like an extra $8,000 or something like that to their monthly revenue. Um, and after like the first month, it's like just an extra $5,000 a monthly revenue. What is that roadmap? um into developing like this, like budding practice into a super successful, highly profitable um, what does that kind of look like for you guys, like through PT biz? Yeah. So just like the first couple months, like what, what kind of things are we working on? Yeah. Yeah. So typically, um, assuming someone is like good, they've started, right. They have a location because those are the things that really slow people down is like getting a lease, you know, all those kind of things, whatever things you have to do with your state to open a business, which 50 different states are 50 different ways to go about it. But after that, it's, it's really, uh, setting up referral sources. A main thing that we work on is sales skills. Like that's that's probably the biggest thing that most people starting out has have to work on. 
Um, so just getting their close rates up for people who do come in, because that's, that's something that everyone can improve on and no one really is like super comfortable doing it. Right. Like, and I always say this because like in better human business, none of us became like started this because we wanted to do (laughs) sales, right? Like we, you guys are chiropractors, like you wanted to do that. You know what I mean? And like physical therapists, they wanted to do PT would for me, when I started, I just wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. All these other things had to be learned. What I learned was I was like, well, if I don't learn how to sell things, I will, I will only coach a few people. You know what I mean? I can only help a few people. And so there's a lot of, uh, mindset shift there, like making, making people more comfortable selling. Um, I always, you know, really like to dive in with people. Like, do you have a good product or service? It's like, Yes. It's like, okay. If you absolutely believe that, like why the hell wouldn't you want to get that to as many people as you possibly can? You know what I mean? And so once you kind of shift some of that and you realize, you know, selling is more of a service and there are ways to do it in which you're not salesy and there it's not like any of that, you know, all that used car salesman stuff that people think of when they think of sales. Um, you really are helping people. And especially in in my position, to me, it's like, when I see somebody who needs something and I just know, I'm like, this, this is absolutely what you need. Like, I, I just know it because I've worked with so many people. I've consulted so many people. I'm just like, you are the the right fit for what I do. And I know if you can cross over that line, that financial line, I can absolutely help you crush it. And I just know it. Like I'm a hundred percent sure I can do it, but they don't know that. Right. And so all I have to do, like I'm coming from a place that's very genuine, right? Like I absolutely know I can help you. Yes, it costs money because my time costs money, right? Like let's get over that. But I know for a fact I can help you. It's not a question mark. This isn't like a a concern for me or something I'm unsure of. And so once you can kind of get past that, you're going to be doing really well. So after you've kind of mastered sales, then the next step from there, um, and this is where everyone starts to, to fumble, is hiring. And so that's where we spend a lot of time after they're getting leads and they're converting sales. Hiring is very difficult. Um, Keeping people around is very difficult. And I think a lot of that is like um, people are very, uh, I think most practitioners are way more entrepreneurial than they used to be. And a lot of people are seeing the problems with insurance. Right. And so I think that, and I think chiropractors specifically are maybe the most entrepreneurial just in my experience, like you guys, tend to like embrace it more than anyone else as opposed to wanting to go work for someone else. Right. Like most it's more common. Uh, but then you run into like, there's still a hiring issue. Like how do I find someone like me who doesn't want to go do their own thing and how can I keep them around? Like what, how do I actually do that? That becomes a a much harder thing. And those, that's where the problems get more serious, right? Because you're now responsible for another human being, right? You have to lead them. You have to, make sure they're doing a good job, that they represent uh, what you're doing, what your brand is about. Uh, so hiring is a big thing, leadership. So th- then we start with all the big boy, big girl problems, right? Like uh, I think the starting part, if you can if you can get a referral network, couple, you know, a good word of mouth, just because you have a good product or service and you master sales, you're going to be good to go. You'll be, you have a, a practice that can sustain, but then you have to start facing all the problems of, uh, you know, leadership and scaling. Yeah. So like, I know you're like a really stat driven guy and I am too. And like, we track a lot of stuff in the office and you say like, one of the biggest things you have to have is like, do you have a good product or service? So like, how do you statistically know, like, what are some of the indicators that you have a good product and service? And then like, 
if you don't have a good product and service, how can you identify that in your business? Yeah. So a big thing to look at, if you have any kind of like continuity program, you know, where someone's coming in paying a monthly service, you know, for your services is you got to look at your churn rate. And so how many people are quitting? And, and that's, that's going to be a major one. Um, if you don't have a continuity program, it would probably be like repeat visits or uh, referrals, things like that. So those are big alarm bells. If, if no one wants to refer you, like if you're not getting any referrals, your product or service may suck. Um, if people don't want to come back, your product or service may suck. And then if your churn rate is really high, just meaning too many people are quitting, like I have 20 people on continuity plan this month and the next month I have 15. It's like, that's alarming. Like why did five people quit in a month? You know, so those are the those are the metrics you look at that can tell you your product or service sucks because you can think it's awesome. You're like, no, I'm awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. But, and it might actually be, there could be something else. Like sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe you're just like interacting with people wrong or yeah, maybe your AC was out for too long. You know, like these little things also matter that that go outside of your skill set. All the little things, like maybe the front desk person's a huge jerk. You know what I mean? Like there are all these yeah. other things that could be a problem. Uh, but those are the numbers I typically look at when people are asking if, if they have a good product or service. Nice. That's super helpful. Yeah. I know goal that I've heard just like a number I've heard just from a chiropractic lens, especially in, in more Spencer and I's, and I'm assuming similar to a lot of the cash-based practices that y'all deal with in the PT biz, but like um, a, a big goal of ours is to have a, a 40% conversion from initial care into what we call like wellness or what some offices call maintenance. Um, and, and that's a, that's a big goal of ours. And we were actually doing stats yesterday and I was like, oh, wow, we're, we're over that percentage. And I was actually really surprised because I thought we were doing absolutely terrible when it came to our conversion into wellness. Um, but having that, that good product. So where would you say would be a good point to start, um, to, to really dive in and do that, that uncomfortable looking inward when looking at your product? Uh, so looking inward to like your product or service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think first you have to have a baseline of data, like the because I, I mentioned a bunch of things you can track. What what you were just talking about, um, I would call like the your ascension percentage, right? Like so, how many people are sending to a new service or maybe an auxiliary service, something like that. Pick two or three of those. That one I would love. Like an ascension rate is great because that's more immediate. Like I know that within whatever a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months, whatever whatever the the plan of care was. But then from there, the churn rate is going to be much more like lagging indicator. If someone is like on monthly, they might stick around for three or four months. And if you're a new practice, that's hard. You can't tra track churn right away. So even if it was just those two, like how many people are sending into uh, my wellness program, then how many people, how long do they stick around and or do they leave? So if you're just track those two numbers, then you can start dialing backwards and being like, okay, here are my baselines. Um, I, I could get into what good numbers and bad numbers are, but I don't like to do that necessarily because it can freak people out, especially if they're starting. Like you just have to need a baseline and then you need to improve on that baseline. If you're, if you're, if you weigh 300 pounds, you know that today, that's great. Like, but you, you know, you want it to be less cool. It doesn't matter if someone else weighs something different. So don't worry about what the necessarily the good numbers are. Just know these are my baselines and I want to improve them and, and start working backwards from there. And then look at every single thing, be like, what, and what am I not communicating? You know, what, you know, what is the experience like? Everything. You just dial it down from when they step into the door until they leave. Yeah, I think like one of those things is uh, that's super important that like you mentioned is just like continually like building the confidence and like one being able to collect the data, right? Um, and so 
next, like, can you expand, like, what are some of like the limiting beliefs, like around sales that people have? And then how do you go about developing yourself around sales to where you can become more effective at those? Yeah. So I'll start with the end there. Um, what a big thing that I like to, to walk people through is just leadership in general. And they're like, well, I don't have any employees. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm talking about you. I'm talking about number one person you should be leading and that's yourself. And you're talking about confidence. Like that's where it all comes from. You have to be a confident person. You have to be able to lead yourself. And I don't care how small you have to start. That's where all this like killing comfort stuff comes into. Like everyone starts killing comfort in a different way, a different capacity. Maybe it's one workout a week, two workouts a week. It's whatever you think you should be doing, make sure you're doing it. Make sure that you're really squared away. And you're like, well, how does that help me with sales? It goes back to the confidence issue. If you just really feel like you're not living the life that you think that you should live and your relationships aren't taken care of at home and you're just not confident in general, you need to fix all that. Um, I always give this example, um, Emily, my wife, like we do not fight very often. Um, I like to like preface that when I give this example on podcasts, but if we do fight, I basically can't work. Like I just can't, my mind can't do it. Like I'm just like, so, cause that's all my brain will think about. I'll be like, I got to fix this. I don't want us to be mad at each other. Like, what do I do? And so just knowing that about myself is like, I'll never go to work if there was anything that we had fought about. And again, we, we rarely ever fight these days, but like, if we did, like, I have to fix that right away has nothing to do with sales, right? Has nothing to do with running my business, but I know it's going to make me worse at doing those things. And so that's step one is make sure that you are leading yourself. You're killing all the comfort at home, personally, doing all those things because it absolutely will make you better as an entrepreneur and it will make you better at sales. And then getting into the, the first part of your question, you know, common beliefs about sales. Uh, really, the biggest one I see that's a little bit more tactical is price point. Um, you know, a big thing that we work on is, is dialing in the price point with people. Um, most people always want to price too low. I'm sure you guys have seen that. They want to they want to price too real, way too low. And they have a lot of tendencies or mindsets of what someone would pay. And I know you can look at industry averages and like bounce things off your friends or whatever. But one thing you should never do is say, what would I pay for this thing? Because what you would pay for something has is irrelevant. It's what the market will pay. It's what people will pay. Especially if you're like fresh out of college and you've been e eating ramen and you have a, you can, a small <laughs> one bedroom apartment, right? And you're like, well, I'd pay 30 bucks Nothing. for that because that's, yeah. that's all I have. It's like, well, someone else who's like, you know, an exec at, at some like company here in Dallas, they don't care what number you say. Like, what does it cost? I don't care. I came here because I heard you were the best. And they're not accustomed to that. So don't ever put your own limiting beliefs on on pricing into your business because it's just going to hold you back. So making sure that you're priced appropriately. And then the other things that I was talking about, um, you know, a lot of people just have ideas about sales that have to be broken down. Those limiting beliefs about people don't want to be sold to. And yeah, if it's an overly like drawn out dramatic thing where like you're not letting them leave and like you're putting your foot on the door, like, yeah, okay, we're getting a little ridiculous, but that's not what we're talking about. And I think everybody knows that it's just, you're trying to make, help someone make the right decision when you know you can help them. That's it. And you got to show them why you're the best fit, give them all the reasons. And you know, the, the last part of that is typically people are very uncomfortable uh, handling any sort of objection, right? They have like their sales pitch. They want to go through the thing and then they don't 
they don't want to handle an objection. They just want the person who's like, yep, I'm cool. They want the exec who doesn't care about the price, right? They, that's what they want. But then when they get somebody who balks at the price or doesn't understand it, or they want to think about it, like a lot of people, that's where they shy away. And they're just like, okay, cool. Yeah, maybe later. But I'm not saying like, again, you don't have to go use car salesmen, but if you can learn to handle those objections in a natural way and help people think about things a little bit differently and make sure that they know before they leave, like we are, I am the best fit and I can definitely help you. You can kind of break some of those limiting beliefs. You'll be making a lot of progress. Yeah. And, and you talking about the objections made me think back to, to Hormozy. He, he's got some great clips on like the ways he's handled objections, especially when he was in the gym space. And I remember the first time I listened to him, I was probably a month or two into practice when I was definitely very weary and I'm still pretty weary of objections. I don't want to come off like I'm, I'm great at handling objections. But the first time I listened to it, I was like, wow, that is so blunt. And that is so like, like not used car salesman, but I'm like, I would never, you know, think about saying those things. And then you start to really look in the mirror and see how those objections are going. And like you were talking about earlier in the podcast is having those uncomfortable sales conversations and, you know, people, people came to you, especially in, in, at least in my office, see a lot of headaches or migraines, um, back pain, that type of stuff. And they came to you to resolve that. And you've shown them everything to resolve it. And you now have this proof, especially a little bit later into practice. And then they, they throw you those objections and you're like, oh crap, now I gotta, now I gotta put this uncomfortable conversation in the, into practice. And it sucks the first few times and it'll probably suck a few more times, but um, definitely handling those objections. What are some objections that you have, uh, like common objections, whether it's price point, um, not enough information that you you have seen handled well, um, or maybe some some tactical ways to handle those objections? Uh, I think, so going to Hermosi, one of my favorite, one of the, my favorite closes of his, and probably the most common one I've seen is wanting to talk to a spouse, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Okay. That's how it always is, goes. It's great, but let me talk to my husband or let me talk to my wife and I'll get back to you. Um, now this one's a little bit more aggressive, but it is straight from Hermosi when he's like, um, how about this? How about you? And this is the, the short version of it. How about you go ahead and sign up? And then if you get home and your spouse says, no, I don't want you to fix your back pain, then cool. We'll cancel refund. Like you don't have to worry about it, but they're probably not going to do that. Right. And so that that's my favorite one. Like if you can figure out a way to do that, that doesn't come off across too aggressive. Um, that's one of the best way to handle the, I need to talk to my spouse. Um, with price, price typically is more of just more of a conversation and not like move to a close. Like if someone thinks something is too expensive, uh, you typically just need to really lay out for me, prices, it's way more of a logical approach as opposed to emotional approach. I mean, you can get to the emotional side of it, but it's just like, here's why it costs what it costs. And you can kind of explain to them like all of those reasons and why you're the best and why, you know, your, your one-on-one -on -one care is better than anywhere else. All those kind of things, you know, that typically in most cases helps. But then if you have to get to the emotional side of it, like for me, I work directly with, with Spencer and to fix my, you know, my back pain and the issues I had to be able to doing what I'm doing now. Like I'm, I'm running again, like multiple days per week, lifting all these kind of things. Like if you could have communicated to me at the beginning, which you didn't need to, cause like I was, you know, I was, I was good. But like, if you would have painted that picture for me of like, look, dude, you're not working out as much as you want to, you're not working out as hard as you want to in two, three months, I want you to be doing 
X, Y, and Z. So it takes some like, Hey, you need to find out what do they want? Right. And then they're like, Oh, the price is too expensive. And it's like, okay, you told me you want to do X, Y, and Z. I can have you doing X, Y, and Z in three months. What's that worth to you? Like get away from like, if this is too expensive or whatever. Cause if I would have been asked that question in the office, I'd have been like, that's worth $20,000. If, if I, you know, like I would just be like named off some radical number because to me, fitness is incredibly important. And when I'm not working out how I want to and doing the things that I want to, like everything in my life suffers. Like I'm less creative at work. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm a worse husband. I'm a worse dad. Like everything is worse if I, if I'm not doing what I want to. So if you can paint that picture for people, you know, I, and I know you guys know that, but like being pain-free, what that could mean for them, that's typically the best objection is a little bit of logic and then move to the emotional side of like, Hey, what does your life look like if this is fixed? You know, imagine what that looks like right now. And then that can normally push people over the edge as well. And then there's the, other I think that, that Hermosi mentioned, this was, this was the one where I was like, this might be a little too much, but in the weight loss section, he's like, well, maybe instead of losing 50 pounds, you have to go gain another 50 pounds. And then by the time you're, you've done that, then you're ready. And I was like, I don't know if I could tell someone you need to go into more pain. I yeah. would probably use that one if I was like really frustrated with someone and just like <laughs> didn't want to talk to him anymore and didn't really care if they wanted to be a client. Yeah. Like, there's no way I could yeah. just use that one in a regular conversation. Yeah. I don't know if that, I don't know if that's step number one. Yeah. yeah. How about you go hurt your back some more? And then after that, <laughs> we can have another conversation. Like that's very aggressive. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. That's tough. Um, one of the things that I really like and that like, um, that, that you've been talking about and that's in your book, I think it's one of the best chapters is the 86%. Um, and especially when it comes to like handling objections and being uncomfortable and all those kind of things. So tell people about the 86% and your wolf story. Yeah. So, um, the full wolf story is, uh, and, and I'll summarize it, but I, I had stumbled across this really cool, um, study and did some reading on it and then did a lot of research about trophic cascades, right? So they took the wolves out of Yellowstone and then they put the, all all the whole ecosystem kind of started to fall apart. Then they put the wolves back, right? And then the whole ecosystem fixed itself. This is obviously over over many decades and stuff. That's the short version of, of what the wolf does. And then I was like, wow, the wolf is just amazing. So I started researching the wolf more. Um, and you just like run into all these like things about the wolf. They're like mysterious. Like it's very hard to catch uh, a wolf hunting or actually like there are very few that are actually caught on camera. They're very like mythical, right? And then I was like, well, they just must be these amazing hunters. And then I like started doing some research on that and they fail 86% of the time they go out on a hunt. And so that's where 86% came from. So 86% of the time, every time, like 86, they just fail. They just don't get anything. They, they just screw the whole thing up. And so that's the process that I want people to realize that they have to embrace. And then they have that 14% success rate. And they, they get it right. Like they, okay, I, I got the elk or whatever they're hunting and they're, they're good. Their bellies are full, but it's only for a short amount of time. And so my point to the whole 86% process is you have to learn at some point that you just need to enjoy that 86% suck zone, right? Like business gets hard. Things get challenging, but that's just part of the game. Once you learn that that's part of the game, like not everything's working. I'm I'm learning, like I'm having fun. I'm living my life. Like 86% of the time it's not working. Doesn't mean like you're always failing because you still will have those 14% trickle in. You know, that's, that's always going to come in and you're going to have those wins. But even when you get there, you still have to wake up tomorrow and do some things that aren't going to work and you're going to have to fail some more. So that's the whole idea of 86%. It's, it's one doing a lot of things that 
are going to be uncomfortable and just know you're going to fail and embrace that. But on top of that, the second thing is just making sure that you realize that you need to enjoy that process because there is no making it. There's no arriving. There's no, I have like a a $2 million per year practice and boom, I'm good now. There's no being good. It's never there. Like it's never there. So if you just need to enjoy that ride and enjoy the discomfort, that's, that's my biggest part of the 86% that people miss a lot of times. It's, it's not just getting back up after you get knocked down. It's enjoyed. It's enjoying getting knocked down just because you know, it's part of the process. That was, that was, that was really good. good. I'm telling you, you need to read the book. I, (laughs) I, I won't lie. I'm, went on Amazon and I ordered it, but, um, while we were mid conversation, but, um, it's just, it's so impressive. Cause I like, at first I knew the wolf story, right. About Yellowstone where they take them out. And I was like, Oh, I've heard this before, but no one has ever pointed out, you know, they're only 80, they're only successful 14% of the time. Yeah. They kind of suck on paper. Right. But like they, yeah. they still crush it's, it. They still can change entire ecosystems when you, when you implement them somewhere. It's something I, from like a sports related thing i i think back on a lot too is is to be a hall of fame baseball player like if you're not a pitcher to be a hall of fame baseball player that hits the ball most hall of famers hit the ball 30 percent of the time right they strike out or get out the other 70 percent, which is just crazy to think like the best of the best are only doing 30 percent, right they have that 300 batting average and it it now it's even seeing that you know it's like okay you gotta get a lot more attempts you gotta at least go and try and try harder, um, not to steal it from me, but to, to try harder and, and really start to unlock that that potential. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I've learned just in entrepreneurship. Um, like I've done, I've done a lot of different things, a lot of advertising advertising campaigns, written a lot of articles, done all these these things. And what people don't realize is that most of them didn't work. Right. Like most of them didn't work. And I, I wish I don't even know if I'm as good as the wolf. Like I might even be at like 90% failure rate and only 10% of the things that we do will hit or work. But if I got discouraged and I stopped, I would be working for someone else somewhere in a job I probably didn't enjoy right now, but I just kept going because I didn't know that I, I just pretended like there was no other option. Right. And so that's how you get successful. So I, I've never thought that I have any sort of special skill. Like I'm not like, Oh, he's a marketing genius or like an acquisition expert. Like I've gained some of those skills just through experience. But at the end of the day, the only skill I really feel like I have is like, I'm willing to just keep trying. It's like, Oh, that Facebook, Facebook campaign didn't work. Okay, cool. Here's a new Facebook campaign. Cause I know it works for somebody else, right? So there's no reason it shouldn't work for me. So I'll just keep trying and trying and trying until something works, no matter how long it takes. I'll either run out of time or money, um, and doing it. Man, Jared, um, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know that from your content and just knowing you, I've learned so much um, about myself. And um, I highly recommend, guys, if you have not consumed Jared's content, if you haven't listened to his podcast, uh, either Better Human Business or Garage Gym Athlete, um, you should. Jared, let the people know where they can find you on the socials and how to stay connected with you. Yeah. So, uh, you can go to jared.com. So J E R R E D. I got that URL cause no one spells their name, how I spell it. Uh, and you can find my podcast, my book and all those kind of things, just kind of like an easy landing page on Instagram. I'm EO three underscore fit. If you just want to see me post, uh, 
dark runs and push-ups. That's that's what I'm doing pretty much there. And but I have started doing some killing comfort content there too. So if you've enjoyed these conversation things I'm talking about, uh you can enjoy those kind of things. But yeah, those are the the two spots. Check things out. Awesome. Awesome. And I will Zach, say, you got anything for the good of the order? Just one more plug for Jared is that I'm only like a couple of weeks in as we've kind of got prepped for this podcast. But I do want to say one thing you do exceptionally well is you take very profound topics or concepts and you simplify them super, super well. Um, Because at first when Spencer sent me your podcast and it was 10 minutes, I'm like, man, I'm not going to learn a thing from 10 minutes, but you're really able to condense and simplify everything in a really timely manner. And so I I want to, you know, tip my cap uh, to that as something that is just really, really amazing, especially for, for those listening that you only need 10 or 14 minutes uh, of your time to really consume some really profound and potent conversations that Jared has on the podcast. So thanks. I thanks. really, really appreciate that. Cause that's something I've worked really hard on because like I've my first couple podcasts, I was like 30, 20 minutes and I was like, gotta be shorter, gotta be shorter. So I've just been chipping away at making sure that those are as much as I can pack into it in the smallest amount of time. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. But and Jared, we really appreciate you being on the show. Um, thanks so much for uh, dropping your advice. Guys, if you liked this kind of episode, uh, give Jared a follow, listen to his stuff, order his book. You won't regret it. And they have a really cool, what I really like is uh, in the back of the book, you have the um, comfort index, which that one's really good. It's like the self-assessment. So go ahead and do that. See how comfortable you are in your life and go out and kill that comfort. So if you like the show, give us a shout, give us a share. Um, tag us on your Facebook, send us a message. And um, if you feel like you could be doing better, try harder. Peace. <laughs> Thanks, Jim.